This is HPR episode 2944 for Thursday the 14th of November 2019. Today's show is entitled Onyx Basics Part 4 Network Flows and Connections. It's part of the series Networking and it's the 10th anniversary show of Gabriel Liebenfire. It's about 16 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is I try to add a bit more network basic info while writing a script for Dave Morris. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hacker Public Radio, this is Gabriel Evenfire. I decided to do a quick episode in this series on command line networking based on a comment Dave Morris made in the community news a month or so back. Dave mentioned that he was doing some monitoring of his home network using the Onyx tool suite, so I thought I'd whip up a quick script to show another way to use the tools to monitor traffic. Uh, unfortunately, my enthusiasm kind of spiraled out of control. But before we get to that, in the spirit of interweaving network basics in this series, let's pause for a second and talk about two new concepts in networking, namely connections and flows. I mentioned in the previous episode that modern networks are packet switched and showed how we can send an individual packet from one machine to another. But actual software doesn't want to worry about the details of breaking files or data that they exchange into limited size packets. Furthermore, they often need to exchange data with multiple remote programs at the same time, or sometimes communicate with the same remote program using multiple channels. In order to support these needs, programs use another layer of abstraction on top of the protocols for basic data exchange. They create connections. A connection is a bi-directional channel between two programs. The programs linked by a connection may be running on the same computer, but are more commonly located on different computers connected to the Internet. In simpler terms, you can think of opening a connection like making a phone call. The program initiating the call is called the client, and the program receiving the call is called the server. In order for the client to open a connection, it must first decide which protocol it will use to talk to the server. Next, the client needs to identify the address of the computer running the server program. As mentioned in the last episode, a network address is a string of bytes that uniquely identifies a node in the network, or, more precisely, the interface that a node uses to connect to the network. 
Besides the computer's address, the client also needs some way of identifying the specific program on the remote computer that it wants to talk to. After all, a computer may be running multiple programs that are all using networking. The most commonly used network protocols use another kind of address specific to programs on the computer. These special program addresses are usually called ports. Like a network address, a port is just a number, but it identifies a specific program or service on a given computer. Once the client knows the address and port of a server program, the client also allocates its own local port on the client's computer so that the server knows how to send its own data back to the client. Once it has all of this, it's ready to start sending packets formatted according to the protocol it selected to initiate the connection with the server. Now, there are multiple protocols out there that run on top of the internet protocol that establish connections. The most well-known is TCP, but there are others like SCTP and DCCP and so on. There are also protocols like UDP that don't specifically establish connections, but nevertheless often use connection-like mechanisms such as ports for communication. Even though so-called datagram protocols like UDP don't have connections per se, programs using UDP still often work by having a client send a request to a server listening on a port and the server responding back with its own data to the client's port. And some folks in the networking world would call that request response transaction a connection even though the programs didn't actually set up any long-term association between each other. Okay, so those are connections and ports. Now let's talk about the concept of flows. A flow is a set of network traffic that should all be treated in a common way. A flow can entail a large set of traffic between many computers and many programs, or it can just contain the traffic traveling from a program on one machine to a program on another machine. Sometimes a flow defined at that fine level of granularity is called a microflow. Note that the direction may actually matter. If we are saying that a particular flow is just the data sent from one program to another program, then a connection actually may be made up of two microflows, one for direction from client to server and another for uh, traffic from server to client. I guess the most important thing to remember about the term flow in networking is that it can encompass whatever a network administrator or a program wants it to mean. The key idea is that it's a way of grouping data together to treat it in the same way. Okay, so much for terminology. Now let's bring all of this back to the little networking monitoring exercise that I was doing for Dave. So I started with a simple script that goes like this. It runs the commands packetin, p-k-t-i-n, 
ETH0, Pipe, NFTRK-D. Now what that command does is read in packets from the network and pass them to the network flow tracker program, which is NFTRK. Uh, with the dash D option, this program drops all incoming packets, but prints out events occurring on network flows. In the case of NFTRK, it treats each individual connection as its own flow. It also treats unanswered streams of packets from a given source as a flow. Now, the events that NFTRK prints look something like this. A connection from my laptop to Google just started, or a connection from my smartphone to Facebook just ended and it used 30 megabytes of bandwidth total, or a connection from my workstation to my network attacks attached storage is still running. It's been running for 30 minutes and it's used 50 megabytes of bandwidth. So we get flow starts, flow ends, and just updates on the status of existing flows. Uh, each flow event from NFTRK goes on its own line, which is handy when you are working with command line tools, text manipulation tools in Linux or Unix in general. So I thought that this would be, okay, a good way now instead of uh, looking at individual packets and going, oh, I wonder you know, what this packet is and I wonder what this packet is. I thought this, this might be more useful for somebody in you know, some interested networking explorer than, a, than the stream of packets because it gives a little higher level sense of what's going on in the network. And uh, I should have probably stopped there. But, 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 I, I thought to myself, okay, that's cute and all, but it isn't pretty to look at because you just get this continuous stream of events. Many of them pertain to the same flow. Um, so I added a bit more shell scripting. I took the same command and I sent piped its data to a, uh, well, I redirected its data out to a file. And then I used the sort command to sort the events by the combination of protocol addresses, of protocol, uh, network addresses, and ports that were used in the connection. Sometimes you will hear networking folks refer to this as examining the connection's five tuple. The five elements of the tuple are the network protocol, the client address, the server address, the client port, and the server port. And those uniquely identify a given connection. Okay, so if I've sorted all of the events based on five tuple, then all of the events for a given connection show up in adjacent lines in the file. So now, with a small little awk script, we can take this set of events and compress it down to one event per connection. And what we really just want is the last event seen for any given connection, because it has all the information from all the previous events. Okay, so we took the, the set of events and we sorted it by the five tuple and we squashed all of the events down just so that we see the last event for each connection. I wanted, instead of using awk for, uh, for finding the unique events, I wanted, I wanted to use the unique command, since that's a nice Unix command line tools, 
but it only works on whole lines and I needed it to work on only part of the line, the part that had the five tuple. I thought about using the dash U option to sort, which also does the same thing, but I could only get that to work, I could only get that to save the first event that would show up instead of the last. So I ended up with the little awk magic instead. Okay, so now what would be coming out of this little script would be one line of text per connection. Sounds good. Uh, but the information is still pretty dense and it looks like a pile of numbers. So, okay, I can use another little awk script to start pretty printing the data and converting the numbers to common names. Uh, like for example, instead of saying that this connection uses IP protocol 6, it would say this connection uses TCP which is IP protocol number six, right? Now the data looks a bit better, but when we think of sites, we don't usually think of them as random strings of numbers like 200.40.82.157. We think of them in terms of names like hackerpublicradio.org. Fortunately, there's a little command line utility called dig that can convert addresses to names or vice versa. So, with a little more scripting, now the pretty printer can change addresses to names, if it can find them. And to make sure that I'm not spamming the network with these uh, reverse lookups from addresses to names, I added a bit of caching into the script as well. Okay, cool. But hey, instead of just looking at flows that were captured over some period of time, how about we look at what's happening in real time? Actually, that's not much of a modification. Uh, we can do that. So, all right, first we'll leave the flow event capture running in the background, and next we'll make the shell script keep running over the file of flow events in a loop once per second. Uh, but just to make it easier, we'll have the script only look at the last hundred events that it has seen using the tail command. Then, after we've sorted and squashed the events by five tuple and pretty printed them, we can use the head command to say only look at the first 20. So it fits in our nice 80 by 24 character terminal. Yeah, I'm a kind of old-fashioned that way. Uh, while we're at it, Let's, uh, every second we, we're going to get, say, the top 20 flows, let's just clear the screen uh, using the clear command so that it looks like we just have one continuous list of active flows that changes every second or so. Ooh, ooh, let's add one more feature. Let's sort the flows by how much data they've each consumed on the network. To do that, we just have to pipe the flow output that we have so far through another sort command, and this time we'll base it on the field indicating the number of the bytes the flow has used and tell it to sort in descending order. Okay, so what do we end up with? Well, a small set of scripts that basically build up something that looks like the top program, but for network connections instead of processes. Uh, I decided to name it topflows.sh. Every second it shows the top 20 flows that we've captured and their data usage and how long they've been running. Okay, I, I, I finally decided I, I could stop there. Now a few quick self-criticisms. First, 
um, there are already programs that do this sort of thing, like NTOP in Linux or PFTOP in OpenBSD, and they probably do it better than these scripts. Uh, second, I probably could have done a better job with the data manipulation in less lines of code using a language like Perl, Python, or Go. But in my defense, this was just a quick proof of concept done on a Saturday afternoon to see if I could. Also, my OpenBSD firewall that I wanted to test it on is memory constrained and it doesn't have a Perl or Python interpreter or a Go compiler. Uh, besides, it was fun. Okay, so that was the ride. I clearly need to stop taking up challenges based on random comments in response to my episodes. Or maybe I don't. Uh, if you think not, then throw out some random comments in an episode or in the comments section, and let's see what happens. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed hearing a little more about networking and the concepts behind it, and I hope this podcast will inspire folks to dig a little deeper into the technology we use every day. You can find all of the code that I mentioned in this podcast on GitLab at https colon slash slash gitlab.com slash onyx slash onyx dash examples. And remember, onyx is spelled O-N-I-C-S for Open Network Inspection Command Suite. And uh, this code is under the top flows subdirectory in that onyx examples repository. Now, let's just see what this uh, script is showing is going on on our network here. Hey, wait a second. My daughter should be asleep. Why are there connections from her tablet going to Netflix? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, gotta cut this off now. Bye, folks. Have a good one. Gabriel Levenfire, signing off. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.